Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Hi and welcome everyone. Well, guess what this hat means? It means that once again, this show is sponsored by TD Industries, a 73-year-old premier mechanical contractor and facility services provider. TD can engineer, construct, operate, and maintain the buildings we work and play in. Currently, there are 300 facility technicians that operate and maintain 100 and 20 square feet at facility sites, is that right? Million, million, I have to put the million in there. Well, of course, I missed that one. You know, we were talking about podcasters can make mistakes. It's okay, right? I want to welcome, though, Harold uh, McDowell, the CEO of TD Industries today. And I want to brag on you a minute before we go on, Harold. Harold has won, this is pretty incredible, Inc. Magazine's top CEO in the world. Wow. And your company also has won so many things, including the ABC National Safety Award and listed as a culture as one, the 100 best places to work for 21 years. I'm just so tickled that uh, you were on the show today and we hadn't even met before. So let me keep going and tell you what we're going to be talking about today. All eyes, literally, are on Dallas, watching a new construction that's starting soon with a luxurious 25-story uptown office tower called The Link. Well, it's going to serve as a link between uptown, downtown, and Victory Park. And it's just a few blocks away from Highway 75, I-35, and the Dallas North Tollway. Besides being a magnificent tower, what makes this project especially interesting is that it is a design-build mindset. Now, those of you who don't know what that is, stay tuned. We're going to be talking all about what it is. It's really a different model in construction and one that's going to be highly successful. So they brought all the entities who are in this room today together for this project from the very beginning, something that just doesn't typically happen in the industry. So we're going to spend a whole hour on this show hearing from four visionary uh, leaders who brought together this project and had the foresight to change the mindset of how early collaboration can bring greater success. So today's podcast, we're going to dive into several things. The leadership involved on this critical project, the decisions made to go with this early collaboration model. You'll listen as we talk about the successes so far as well as the opportunities. And then 
we're going to talk about leadership that's needed. You know, we always talk about that for this type of venture. And and I really also want to get into some personal things with our guests about leadership because they all are very highly successful leaders who have maintained, as you know what this show is about, their authenticity, demonstrating their values, and staying with integrity. So each individual is going to be very important on the show today to demonstrate all of those things during the venture. So now, let me welcome our other guests. To my right, Derek Evers, CEO of Kaizen Development Partners. And Derek, you are the developer of this big project. I can't wait to hear about how you got this vision and, and started it. It's we quite are. a story. Yeah. Well, see, I know all this ahead of time. You don't, <laughs> so just wait. And then I'd like to mention uh, Don Powell, partner and owner of Boca Powell, the architect. What an amazing venture architecturally, design-wise, with two curves. You're going to talk all about Absolutely. that. That's, that's going to be great fun. And Eric Kruger, Executive Vice President of Balfour Beatty, going to be the general contractor on this big thing that's coming. When? 2021 it'll be finished? Yes. Is that right? Yep. Okay. And Harold, you're going to weigh in all the w along the way. Thanks, so Robert. thank all of you for being here today. Okay, now I get to take off my hat. <laughs> thank you very Let much. Go. <laughs> Derek, I want to start with you. And... Um, First of all, brag a little bit about your company, Kaizen Development, because it's it's just known as being reputed for bringing really un, unencumbered creativity. You're a visionary, as all of you are, and and the knowledge and the strategic vision that you you bring to the table in every single one of your ventures. And I know that the focus has always been to bring to life the properties that are unique and designed to meet both current and future needs of, of your clients and tenants and customers. Also, that you were honored this year uh, as a finalist in D Magazine's CEO's Commercial Real Estate Award. So welcome and congratulations. Well, Derek. thank you. Thank you for having me today. Lots it's a pleasure. to talk about today. Lots to talk about. So let's just start by this. As the developer of the link, how did this vision come about and and um, and the name? How did you start? Well, you know, uh, my, my partners and I, Nick Somerville and Lee White, you know, we uh, when we started Kaizen, it you know, it really was kind of staying true to our name. If you're if you're not familiar, uh, Kaizen means continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was kind of one of those uh, things where we just said, look, if we are um, going to be running an organization, um, how do we take our, our lessons learned from, from previous stops um, and really kind of make it our own and, and really just improve our organization, improve our, our industry, um, be a contributing member to our community? Um, so, you know, we, we, we came together and we just said, look, um, Kaizen is going to be something differentiate it from our competitors and it's going to be through our our, our authenticity um, it's going to be through how we work with one another it's going to be how we engage with one another mm -hmm. um, and we we feel like we've embraced that so we're we're really excited about the link um, we're excited about our organization and um, we're we're excited about being a positive disruptor to the industry I like that word disruptor. You kind of get a kick out of being one, don't you? We love it. There's a twinkle yeah. in his eye as you said that, <laughs> being a disruptor. 
So Derek, this is, uh, this is not typically how in the industry things happen. Um, that typically you'll hire the architect and the engineer and bring them together and then put everything out uh, to bid. So you chose this different approach and you brought in everyone early. What made you decide to engage both design and construction at the same time? Yeah, so my, my partners and I said, look, we, we want to deconstruct how conventional delivery is mm-hmm. done. Um, and, you know, we've, we've tried it um, with other projects and we just said, hey, let, let's implement some of the, you know, Kaizen principles and how do we make this better? Um, so we, we said, like, let's engage our contractor, or let's engage our architect, let's engage the subcontracting community, mm-hmm. um, let, let's talk to as many people as possible um, in order to get the best ideas. Um, and, you know, so routinely, we have these start-finish relationships and how we go about executing. Well, what if we were more collaborative? What if we were more inclusive um, and bringing in the architect and the contractor in particular and their disciplines? Um, it's, it's been so pivotal in, in how we deliver and, and how we're being responsive to, to the users of our space. And you said something, we had lunch, beautiful lunch before the show, and you said something about bringing the men around this table in that there is such a deep trust relationship which makes collaboration work. It doesn't, it, it, you know, truthfully, it doesn't work without it. Yeah. Um, you know, we have such a deep level of trust in Boca Pal, in, you know, Balfour Beatty, in TD, um, and a myriad of uh, our other team members. And we said, look, let's go to these thought leaders and l- let's be open kimono mm-hmm. about how we're going to get this done. Let's yeah. let's not hold back a, a, a separate budget um, that doesn't, you know, uh, reflect what actually is going on. Let's 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 show everything and you know let's provide an alignment and accountability throughout the entirety of the process Mm -hmm. not just at certain segments of the project's delivery just real teaming has to be real teaming trust teaming yeah absolutely well so let me ask you don thank you for coming today too so um boca powell you are the architect and this building is incredible um only the pictures can i see but you came first of all from a family of builders and i understand at 13 you were already doing stuff well that is true in in the world of architecture to have the on the ground experience i had growing up was invaluable uh, it helped me understand and appreciate the value of the people who build the buildings mm-hmm. and it's the masons it's the people who are form placing and finishing concrete the pride they take in their work created a love for me in the profession and so for me to talk about construction and architecture independently of one another is actually counterintuitive. I see it all as one thing, and I have worked for developers. About 70% of my projects in my 43-year tenure with the firm have been for developers, and Kaizen is the most transparent developer I've ever worked with. They are honest, they are forthright, they set expectations, and they expect everyone on our team to uphold those expectations. So for me, I have really been blessed to be a part of a greater whole of people who are collaborative, who have a common goal. And I, I firmly believe that design build is a way for us to make better decisions early on mm-hmm. and to produce documents that are coordinated where we have subcontractor and vendor input. So for our lives, this is something we embrace 100%. 
we don't view this as extraordinary. We view this as what should be ordinary. And, you know, thank you for explaining it that way, because when I first heard design build, I didn't really know what it meant. I don't know if you listeners do. We're going to talk more uh, without a lot of technical stuff here in a little bit, too, in terms of what typically happens with this group and this group and this group. But what, what you said that was really interesting to me was that this is a somewhat new model. In my mind, I would have thought this is the way you would do it, but I didn't know that much about how, how it's done. Right. Well, the construction industry changes very slowly as a whole. Does uh, it? Buckminster Fuller was a futurist that I saw back in the 70s and when I was in college, and he talked about how buildings change very slowly because buildings move very slowly and things evolve at the rate of the parts in which they move at the speed at which they move. So you can see a building move three inches over six months if you'd like to sit there and watch it. (laughs) So construction technology has evolved more slowly than airplane technology or automobile technology. So there's a relationship between speed and evolution. But when it comes to contractual practices within the world we live in, they evolve very slowly too. So design build shouldn't be foreign Uh, It is an intuitive way to make good decisions early on and have input from people who are ultimately going to build the building. Why wouldn't we embrace that idea? Beats me. It makes (laughs) perfect sense to me. That's why we're doing this show. It's it's. If it isn't, um, if people in the industry aren't listening, listen up, because they're going to talk about how uh, the successes just come much more readily and the efficiencies as well. And you recently, in your firm, uh, received the D Magazine CEO's Best New Office Project Award for the Mercedes-Benz Financial Services. How is that to work on? Well, my partner, John Orfield, headed that project up. Uh, John has been a real innovative in the office industry and has great relations with a number of developers. And this one was one with the uh, Hillwood folks that was absolutely uh, off the chart in terms of new thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're exploring what we call tilt frame buildings in low-rise to mid-rise office buildings. Uh, We embrace all evolutions involving technology. So uh, MEP systems, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing systems, are such a big part of our buildings uh, that if we don't take uh, a a real serious look at how we can improve on a day-by-day basis, we will quit improving and start falling behind. It It is continuous improvement that makes us all better. And all the tools and technology that you have now, which I I want to get into in a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. And Eric, um, so you, um, as the executive vice president at Balfour, is it Betty? Balfour Beatty. Beatty. I said Beatty. Okay, I thought I said Beatty. Um, Your company is certainly an industry leader. I looked on the website and saw many, many things that were very impressive. And so you're doing the general contracting, is that right? Right. And uh, what I also read about the company, I have to admit, is that you focus your work in a way, I liked this, that leaves a positive legacy, a positive legacy in communities. Who would say that? That's very cool. Tell us about that. Well, and especially as you get as far along as I am in my career, and maybe Don and and his and Harold, I think Derek's got a little bit further to go. You know, you start thinking about what you're leaving behind and yeah. and how you're impacting the community. And that's been important 
for Balfour Beatty, not only in the physical environment, but also giving back within the community and being part of that. And that's really something that um, all of my compatriots here share. It's what we call servant leadership. Uh, and Harold's firm certainly has been a, an industry leader in that for many, many years. And I can attribute that's probably one of the reasons why it's been named Best Places to Work for so many years. But it is about getting involved in projects, making sure you are being the best and mm -hmm. building the best uh, and being able to be proud of it. Uh, as we take our families by to be able to point out to a monument out there building and say, you know, I was part of that or your dad was part of that or your mom was part of that is uh, pretty satisfying. Well, and satisfying to the point that, again, your company has won some pretty prestigious things, including uh, being awarded a top workplaces honor by the Orlando Sentinel and the top interior tenant improvements contractor in the southeast by the engineering news record. I want you to go back, if you would, before we weigh in with Harold in a minute, who's known for servant leadership, and you mentioned it. Right. So for our listeners' sake, and many of us, you know, servant leadership, books on it, we've heard right. about it. What is it? How do you see it? Well, which, what you see, it's, I mean, there's obviously, you can go secular, or you can go religious, and on the religious side, there's, there's many uh, examples there. But it's basically not asking folks to do something that you're not willing to do yourself, and mm -hmm. treating others with dignity, knowing that each person brings value to whatever it is that they're doing, recognizing that value. That doesn't mean there isn't discipline, and Harold and I have talked about that. It's not just about being soft. It's an and-and world. We have to treat others with dignity. We've got to be a servant leader, but we've also got to have performance, and that's uh, really an important part of it. You can't have one or you lack something out of the other. So the, the demonstration of it is, is what you're saying, and it isn't soft. Right. You know, I used to get so upset when people would say, oh, you focus on the soft skills. When I started the leadership firm that I own way back when, I always had as a tagline, we focus on people skills. Right. And I had a man tell me at the time, talking about soft skills, I had him say, you know, Valerie, companies will never pay for soft skills. You know, you need to start out doing, you know, your, your Harold is doing this, right? And I did too. I looked at this man. He said, companies will never pay for soft skills. And before I could say anything, he went on to say, what you really need to focus on, if you're going to start this company, do something like sales training like I'm doing because we can measure that. Now, later on, if I had had the wherewithal to say it, then I would have. But now I would have said, you know what, it's the, hard, it's the soft skills that bring the hard dollars. Right. Isn't that true? And of course, now there's research that talks about that. But Harold, your company all these years and you individually um, have been practicing and it's been extremely successful in, in making your company be the ultimate that it is. Give us an example of I'd be walking down the halls and how would I see someone demonstrating servant leadership? Well, I, 
Valerie, I think at our shop, the way you would see servant leadership in the hallway is everybody's on a first-name basis. And <laughs> we've grown there. into a large organization. And so just acknowledging, greeting, saying hello. Mm-hmm. There's also actually a joke in our, in our um, Dallas office that um, people wave when they come and leave the parking lot. And we actually did a video one day. We shot pictures of people driving in, waving to the people walking in on the sidewalk. And, and so it, it's a, it is a friendly, inclusive environment. Mm-hmm. It is a, um, a servant-led environment. It's focused on creating success for those that work for you. So by helping others grow, by making sure they have the tools and the gifts and the talents that they need to do their job, and then ultimately helping them grow that's what great servant leaders do. And since at, at TD, all we really have to sell is the gifts and talents of our people, it's really important that everyone feel valued and everyone feel like they have grow, opportunities to grow. And you call, it's, in, it's an employee-owned company, right? It is an employee-owned company. Yeah, we have 2,400 stockholders that own the, out of about 3,000 employees. And so um, if someone's walking down the hall and you see them, you don't call them employees. What do you call them? We go partners. There TD go. Partners is our is yeah. our acronym for employee. I like that. Yep. That, that has helped build. Because everybody owns a little piece. That's for sure. That's for sure. So we better do right, right? Yeah. Better do it right. <laughs> so let's go back now to uh, the link and – when each of you got the call from the developer. Um, Eric, let's start with you. When you got that call, uh, what were you surprised? Had you been, you know, what were you thinking? Well, no, not surprised at all. We've, we've been very blessed to be partners with Kaizen uh, for many, many years. Um, and, you know, Derek started off by saying that they provide a lot of trust and transparency and if you take that sincerely that take you take on a tremendous amount of responsibility when when that's being put upon you so when you get a call from Derek or one of his partners uh, you respond right away I mean that's what friends do you when they call you come running and because of the success that they've had and the reliability of those calls meaning they're real yeah. you know you've got something there and so it it doesn't matter and they're involved in some very exciting things now when when uh, Derek uh, Lee or Nick call we're gonna be there so we knew we had something exciting uh, and then when he explained it we knew we had something really exciting because the link is probably one of the highest profile um, most prominent sites in in the downtown uptown area that folks are going to see come alive over the next 24 months. I can't wait to watch it. I'm going to go back to the vision. So you saw this piece of land and with your innovative mind how did you come to the point where you said this sort of interesting piece of land could be this? You know it's um, you know we say it often um, you know as as developers we're, we're storytellers. Um, you know, and so we, we kind of approach every development as, as, as a story that we're telling to the community. Hmm. Um, so when we looked at this particular piece of property, it wasn't just, hey, let's maximize profits. You know, what's something that's authentic to this location, to this community, that it will 
you know, be accepted, you know, because if it's not authentic, it's going to automatically be rejected over time, maybe not initially, but over time, it's not going to work, you know, so that's how we approach development as a whole, you know, and when we saw this piece of property, we said, what does it want to be? What does the property want to be? What does the property want to be? It's telling you something. I like that. Well, you know, I had, I have a friend of mine, he was, uh, he was a winemaker. Um, his name is Mac McDonald. Uh, he's an African American winemaker um, out of California, and he makes uh, Pinot Noirs. Mm. Um, and and the reason that he did that was he said Pinots are the toughest wines to make, um, which I thought was really interesting. So I said, okay, well, tell me about your story. How did you how did you get there? And he says, um, well, you know, I I started I worked the land, um, <laughs> and I wanted to. And they said if you want to make a great wine you have to eat the roots, eat the dirt, you know, because it's, it's the roots that actually make the grapes and, 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 and whatnot. So, you know, I, I, I kind of, what I received from that is I need to go out there and eat the dirt with my partners, you know, what, what <laughs> physically is, go yeah, out there. Well, maybe not physically, but you know, we have, we, but, but, you know, I mean, we wanted, yeah. to, we, we, we had a very deliberate approach about how we, um, wanted to go about this particular development. And so we went out there and, and ate the dirt, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked to the community. We talked to the neighbors. We talked to architects and contractors and subs and, you know, city council members. And we said, okay, well, what does this want to be? Mm-hmm. Um, so we looked at um, we looked at adjacencies and we looked at visibility and we um, looked and said, hey, is there a gap analysis that we need to go through and say what users want to be in this space? Is it is it a tech user? Is it an office or is it a financial services, law firm, a creative class? Um, and so, you know, we believe the biggest winners in real estate are the ones that provide optionality. Um, so we didn't want to make a building or a development that was only suited to just one thing. You know, we wanted to have the optionality to be able to flex to whatever the community and the, and ultimately the end users wanted to have. And Boca Powell and and and, and Boca, oh, I'm sorry, and and Balfour did a tremendous job at sometimes reeling us back in um, because you know we we love to use that. You know we. We can go from the mild to wild um, on our design. I think you start sometimes. with wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I usually my, my partners Nick and Lee they usually you know are pulling me out of the clouds. Um, but yeah, I mean we we wanted to make something truly unique, and I, I think we've achieved that with the link. So for those who are not uh, living in Dallas and don't know exactly what that neighborhood was like, can you describe it? It's on the edge of downtown, right? Yeah, yeah. Describe sure. what was there. Yeah, so who the neighbors are. Yeah, I mean, you know, what was there is probably something you don't want to <laughs> don't want to see. Um, you might be able to look on Google Google Maps for right now, Google Earth, um, at least until it gets updated on what was there until we just recently demoed the building. Um, but it was a old, you know, call it four story garage or three story garage with a four story office building that was that was dated and needed to be gone. So I think uh, we might have got carried out you know, on the shoulders of all the neighbors once we actually tore it down because it was so bad. Um, but that being said, 
um, what we'll be replacing it with will be a, a, a jewel. And it's surrounded by um, a number of different uses. So you have um, a bunch of retail and restaurants, and you have the AAC, uh, American Airlines Center, mm-hmm. um, that's closed. We, um, you have direct access off of the Dallas North Tollway. So we heard a stat once. Um, I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to accept it as if it is uh but 80 percent of the traffic that goes to uptown and downtown passes right by our site that's a really really wow. compelling stat yeah um, and then they branch off to wherever else but um what that created for us was an opportunity mm-hmm. um, because it becomes a huge billboard for whomever uh, comes into the building and we're talking to a number of different users right now rarely as a developer do you get a chance to be somewhat picky Mm-hmm. with the tenants that mm-hmm. come into your building, um, but it is a competitive environment. There's just not much product. That's the other right. big distinction yeah. in Uptown. There just aren't many tracks. Mm-hmm. And because of the particular zoning that's that's there, it almost forces you to be a quote-unquote boutique building because you can't do the large, massive skyscrapers that you would see uh, maybe just a few miles to our south in downtown. That, that's interesting to hear the story about that. And uh, if I can ask you, Don, in when you were designing the building, what was going through your mind in he gives you the story, you've eaten the dirt, <laughs> what have you, <laughs> and now you have to build this design, and it's beautiful, the pictures that I'm sure are being shown here. Um, Tell us about the design. And well, the link is an office building. It has a mixed-use component, restaurants potentially at the base, designed so it can accommodate some retail, quasi-retail functions. But in that location, an office building makes a lot of sense. But it wasn't what they wanted to do. It's what they didn't want to do. When we started this process, they said, uh, you folks, Boca Powell, have designed over 50 million square feet of office buildings. We want to see something that's never been done before. If you show us something we've seen before, you failed. So we had an internal design competition within our organization. We had 10 designers who put forth about 14 different options, conceptual ideas that were taken far enough along that you could form an opinion about, wow, this is something I could get excited about. But there were some underlying themes that started to come to the surface and rise to the top. And we quickly narrowed this group of 10 designers down to three that continued to foster further development of their ideas, which then merged into one solution where all three designers collaborated to get the best of their ideas in this one outcome. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, the, the link is going to be known as a state-of-the-art office building from a technical standpoint, but also it challenges all of our sensibilities about, wow, you can't do that. Well, yes, you can. There are certain rules. And I believe knowledge actually gives you freedom to design responsibly but not do everything that's been done in the past. So the link has been a bit of a laboratory for ideas. Uh, The core itself, we have a building that's not rectangular in shape. The curvilinear facades take advantage of the edge of the streets on the Harry Hines side. But on the Ackard Street side, peel back from the edge of the podium so that you actually have more open space and air around that portion of the building that sits back off of the face of the podium. Uh, But the idea is that we're designing amenities that will bring tenants to this building, a superb amenity package, far better than you see in typical office buildings. And then it's really about the vibe. And one thing I love about Kaizen is they're young, they're vibrant, they are Aggies, 
but <laughs> I mean slow, <laughs> small sentences. You knew he'd get that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they challenge us, and the thing I'm really most proud of is that we're building a very cost-effective, high-end office building that I believe will satisfy end-users' needs and the goals for this developer to distinguish itself among all the development community in Dallas. Mm, beautiful. And you said something on the way over here about you've never had a day that you went to work, <laughs> which you, it just shows all over oh, you. So blessed. There, I can't imagine being in another profession, and uh, it is truly wonderful to have clients that allow you to, to express freeform ideas. Uh, at the end of the day, they know, Kaizen knows, Balfour knows, they can rely on us put forth a building that's structurally sound, viable, mm -hmm. mechanical, electrical, and plumbing systems are all going to work just like they do in every other cookie cutter building, but in our case, we're exploring new ground. And we love, we don't want to be bleeding edge, but we want to be leading edge <laughs> architecture. Uh, yes, we don't want to fall on our swords. That would not be a good outcome. <laughs> so uh, we've just had great partnerships. Balfour Beatty and Boca Powell have tackled some really challenging design build projects like the Dallas Omni Hotel. And so we have that history. The link is our eighth office building with Kaizen. So we have, we have great confidence that we know at the end of the day, uh, we're going to be given certain latitude, but responsibility to meet the budget and to meet the performance characteristics they're looking for. So thank you for that. And let's go then to the construction and the internal stuff. Now I'm talking audience because I don't know all the things that have Go, that go you know I see a pretty building and I take it for granted I did before <laughs> but I, I didn't really understand the intricacies like I do now and so Eric and Harold um, whoever wants to start what about now the insides how are you working all that out well I'll, I'll jump in first Harold so it, it starts at the very beginning you know it's the, you start at the beginning with the end in mind and that's here again the, the beauty of the collaboration that we've seen on this project is all of the stakeholders were at the table very early yeah. so not only was Balfour Beatty involved very early but TD as a design build for the mechanical uh, portion of the project uh, was also involved so when you get to that we're talking about they you know Don and team may be looking at the exterior the design or the floor plates the way this is going but meanwhile ourselves and TD, we're looking at, well, what, how's that going to affect the mechanical distribution, the layout, et cetera, all of those small details. So from there, Don, uh, uh, Harold, I'll let you talk a little bit about some of the things that you were looking at early on when, when we brought you on the team. Well, I think the beauty of having an owner with a long-term vision and a sense of trust is that, that we're able to have a, a much further developed design before we ever start the work. Okay. So we're drawn at once. We've got it, almost all the details are worked out. I mean, it's, it's gonna be a fabrication level design mm -hmm. before we start. And that allows us to be ready to handle unintended things that might come away to the design team. It, it allows us to um, work cost out of the project. And ultimately it lets our people get much more familiar with what they're going to build so that we can do it efficiently and effectively when it's time to get to work. And what I'll add on to that is here again, Having an owner like Kaizen with their trust and transparency, we've repeated that quite a bit, we knew how many dollars we could spend in the various areas, including mechanical. So we call it target value design. So we're now maximizing the dollars, in this case around the mechanical, 
systems around that dollar and mm -hmm. that helps that helps you coordinate systems not only the mechanical but coordinate with the electrical plumbing other areas but also allows you to have the certainty around what you're ultimately going to be able to put in place yeah. uh, by each team member so even the smaller parts inside of the building it, it all is orchestrated very well if I may weigh in, I, I want to give TD credit for some innovative ideas they brought to the mechanical system on this project. They were able to provide a concept for purging the air after hours that took a lot of the particulate matter that resides in office building air out after hours, lower the amount of fresh air that's required then to be brought in to supplement that existing air, and that reduced the air conditioning tonnage or the overall cost of the system uh, because of an innovative idea for how to expel bad air at the right time and bring in less humid and hot air the next day to start up the building. So they differentiated themselves very quickly by bringing new technology to the table, filtration system that we hadn't run into before, and I will tell you, that was a differentiator. There were other people in the industry who can do the, the same old tried and true methodologies, mm -hmm. but they brought something to the table that was a risk well worth taking and is proven to be a, a money-saving concept for this building. Well, n not just that. I mean, you know, now it feels like we're piling on <laughs> for, for TD, but, you know, but it's well-deserved. Um, you know, the technology that Don was referring to is something that we tout in our pitches to tenants now um, because it oh. is different mm -hmm. than everyone else um, you know I, and I, again Don also pointed out that I'm an Aggie so that means you got to <laughs> make it very simple and you know so I'll, I'll make it very simple um, you know you just kind of liken it to um, you know you have that um, that deal in Las Vegas to where the hotels they say oh you're pumping air in to kind of keep you um, keep you, you know, just up and ready to roll and, and, and whatnot. Well, um, in in Aggie terms, uh, this is this this building has the ability for our tenants um, to have better air qualities. You know, so they are um, getting better output from their employees. Mm -hmm. So it's it's it it really is a tool now that we are utilizing as part of our pitches when you're talking to you know some of the great organizations and companies that are considering our building right now. All right, so I'm glad you brought that up. It reminds me of differentiators, which is what I do with branding is, you know, what's your differentiator? What's different from you that kind of other people sort of do, but you do different tools and, and, and uh, technology. Have any of you used some things in your company now that is kind of the new trend, the, new, the newest of the new Besides what we just talked about? Yes, we see constant uh, improvement in terms of quality by shop fabricating a lot of the components that used to be built in the field, whether that's the glass and glazing systems where we're using unitized curtain walls opposed to stick framing. Uh, if it's mechanical systems, the same thing can happen there as well. So shop fabrication and being able to bring products to the site ready to install mm -hmm. where the, the labor on site is reduced, the construction time is reduced. Let's face it, you can work in a factory where the weather's terrible uh, and you're working in a climate that's controlled, whereas we're out on a job site and it's 115 degrees, productivity is down, quality control suffers. So the idea that we are relying upon shop fabrication and 
Harold alluded to the fact that the drawings that we're producing are fabrication quality. That's because our subcontractors are providing those drawings to us. What used to be considered shop drawings that reflect the architectural drawings are now the documents by which the architect incorporates input from oh, the subs rather than generating documents that then the subcontractor goes back and creates their own. It is a it is a expediting process for decision making as well as eliminating a costly time and in quite frankly the man hours expended mm -hmm. uh, just to redraw things is ridiculous and we're using that BIM technology Revit is a tool that we all use but we communicate architecturally and structurally in one language the MEP folks communicate in another language theirs is really software used for fabrication rather than hard bidding mm, okay yeah. you know one other area there are, there's a lot of great technology advances that that we see uh, especially you go into TD shop you're seeing things done prefab which helps your safety helps your quality all of those consistency the other thing that I think you you hopefully are picking up on with the four of us is I'll go all the way back to what I said about servant leadership being and and having having the right behaviors along with being the best at your trade so each of us like to think we're the best at our trade but the other thing that we incorporated on this particular project was a more behavioral based we call it smart start and it was a it was something that was trademarked it was started actually at parkland hospital when we were involved in in building the new parkland it's where we get the stakeholders together we understand each other's behavior so in order to understand each other we go through the gallup strength finders and i know you're familiar with that uh, so to understand how God put each one of us together. And then we have a series of things we go on beyond that to understand what's important. In this case, what were Kaizen's goals for the project? What were Boca Powell's goals for the project? I may think I know, but until I ask them, I don't know. Then there's other issues like governance. How are we going to govern? What kind of meetings? Who needs to be in what meetings? How are we going to measure success? What are the desired outcomes? What's our code of conduct? All more soft stuff or behavioral, <laughs> but it allows us, once we understand, to move very quickly. As Derek will tell you, there have been a lot of surprises, even this early into the project. Uh, things that could have derailed it, quite frankly. Uh, we had a lot of high design aspirations, and we obviously have a budget that's got to be able to go sure. out to the market and get competitive lease rates. Um, had we not had that level of trust that we all take a great deal of responsibility around and manage and handle ourselves appropriately, it could have derailed very quickly. And that's how projects usually do derail. It's usually a behavioral people issue, not a technical or construction or design issue. But those projects do not make that upfront investment, right? And right. creating a, a, a team that, that knows how to work with each other and knows how to work through difficult situations. And I think that can go for any project or any organization. So. Well, thank you for that, because I, I was just going to say that is needed in every company, in every team. So uh, I, I also would like to just take this a little bit further about the collaboration. How often do you all meet as the team? Well, we have weekly owner-architect-contractor meetings. Okay. Uh, they're held in our office right now. The idea is that we have an opportunity to come together once a week in front of the owner and talk about the things that the owner's input is vitally important. We also meet outside that meeting with the owner. All of our consultants meet with us so that 
it's not fun making sausage in front of the owner sometimes. <laughs> and uh, while this owner would probably handle it better than most, uh, we just have a responsibility to one another mm-hmm. to talk about things where minor decisions uh, can have a major outcome in terms of cost or efficiency. And we find that if we don't take the opportunity to meet with our subs on a regular basis, in addition to those weekly owner-architect contractor meetings, we miss opportunities. And I will tell you, uh, we recently faced a challenge from the city of Dallas where they changed some of the requirements for our loading dock facilities. And frankly, we had to do some innovative thinking and ideas were thrown out that quite frankly, could have embarrassed people you know, from oh. the standpoint of, can this be done? Yes, it could be. Is it practical? But we vetted ideas that, uh, in the end, the owner looked at it and said, well, if this is the only way we can get there, fine. At the end of the day, we found more practical solutions. But we didn't feel like we couldn't say what we needed to say with our consultants mm-hmm. and then in front of the owner because, again, we have an owner that isn't going to say, well, that's a crazy idea. You've lost credibility. Mm-hmm. They Thank you for at least thinking about alternatives we otherwise might not have considered. Uh, our challenges on this project have largely come from Dallas's aging infrastructure in Uptown, the electrical service distribution system, the stormwater system. Both of those things have created serious multi-million dollar challenges to this project. Money that we weren't anxious to, to allocate to those things. But at the end of the day, we found a way to accommodate that demand, and we're we're in budget, and it's a testament to everybody involved. It really yeah. is trust. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, well, it absolutely <laughs> is. I mean, you know, what what I'll add on that, just from from the owner developer's perspective, is, you know, it, it is truly a collaborative process, inclusive of the city of Dallas. Um, the city has, um, while you know there are some improvements that we needed to do from an infrastructure standpoint, um, it it did take you know the collaboration of the entirety of the team, inclusive of everyone in this room. Um, working in conjunction with the city, mm-hmm. um, you know, so going down and talking with them and saying, "Hey, this doesn't make sense, but how about this?" <laughs> or, you know, can you, you know? And there were things that we had to give on, and we did. And there were things that the city gave on uh, in order to, to come up with the right solution, you know, because we don't want to, you know, just kind of block and tackle and check a box just to be checking a box. Uh, nor does the city or anybody um, on on our project team. You know, we said, okay, what what makes the most sense? Um, and fortunately, they've uh, they they've been you know while challenging at times, and I, I would say sometimes people say we're challenging as an owner, um, but we we got the best result. So we're really excited to be moving forward with with everyone involved. Well, it strikes me then that um, Derek. You're still early in the project, of course. Um, let's just talk about the successes. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. The successes that you've had so far, and then on the flip side, what opportunities are still out there that you've found? Yeah. So, I mean, as as we continue, I, look in in real estate, it, it's not a matter of when some if something changes, it's when something changes. It, it <laughs> Life is this. Oh, it, it is a living. Um, organism sometimes yeah. in, in real estate development. Um, so, you know, we, we, we've stayed, you know, very nimble on how we react to, to all of it. Um, so the project team members that we have, um, you know, we, we often like to say, you know, we, we want partners that have strong opinions loosely held. Um, and, like you know, and the reason we say it that way is because we want strong input from all participants 
Um, and that's the reason that we bring folks in so early um, because we, we want to take it all and, and we want you to defend your position. Um, but we want it loosely held because if there is a new idea or if there's new information or if there's a pivot that we need to do through the course of the project, you know, have the humbleness to be able to say, hey, there's a better way to do this and, mm-hmm. and modify. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've done throughout the entirety of the, of the project thus far and what we'll continue to do moving forward. So getting out of the ground and getting, you know, permitting and, and working with the lender um, which Goldman Sachs is our lender um, on this particular project, and they have they've been a tremendous partner, um, and we're we're looking forward to moving forward with them. It'll be our first project with them, um, but layering on with the balance of our team, you know, just how do you take you know large organizations um, and marry them with a very entrepreneurial type organization like like us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we 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 try our best to find that that common ground all the way through. I, yeah, and I would say they do a great job of leveraging, the, taking their organization and leveraging the best out of the industry. And the other way that manifests itself is when you have an owner, at like what you're seeing in in Derek, down at the trade partner level, mm-hmm. they want to be part of that job. I mean, yeah. we're, in the, we're in a very competitive environment right now in Dallas. We're blessed to have a lot of construction going on. And at times, it can be difficult to get trade partners involved in your project. Not this one. Because mm-hmm. they know that they've got an owner that will respect them, that wants to hear their ideas, but also hear again. We're, we may not pick that idea, but we want to hear it. They want to be part of that. And then you add on top of it the location and the design. I mean, it's just a win-win-win. Mm-hmm. But that's been a huge success, is that folks really want it. The other thing that's been a success on this project is, and you've heard them talk a little bit about it, is the challenging site and how we've, we, and I give the credit obviously to Don and his firm and Derek and their firm, maximize the site, the square footage on the site. Even when we faced the challenges with Encore and some of the other things, we were able to overcome that. And I, I don't think we would have been able to do that had we not all come together as early as we did. You know, you keep saying we came together, the collaboration, which is obviously the, the major part of why this design build is such a great idea. Let's just take that to any industry, any organization. Um, what are the just leadership aspects of all of this? that you in your own in in your own businesses make sure are in place so i'm just kind of asking you from a culture standpoint if um if people are working in a company that has a good strong um i'll say culture and what is culture anyway so my question is really twofold I'd love for you to talk about each of your cultures that you have intentionally designed and how that's lived out so that I can walk down the halls again and I can feel and see this culture. What would I be seeing? Harold, why don't you start? Well, I I would build a little bit on what um, Eric was saying about why we wanted to be involved in the project because when you have, it it starts, the types of people that that we like to do business with have high standards of business ethics. They have, they think win-win. 
right? So they're looking for successful outcomes for all the parties that are involved. Mm -hmm. And as Eric said, that's, that's not the norm. And so the ability to know um, who to work with in this business and who you prefer to work with in this business is sometimes one of the best um, secrets to our success. And um, we're blessed to have over probably 95% of our revenues is with recurring clients. So um, repeat clients over many, many years. So, but to go to your culture question for a moment, um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, um, talk these days about different, you know, millennials versus the Gen Xers against the boomers like myself. And I'll tell you, we find that the millennials pretty much want the same thing that this old boomer wanted, which was I was looking for opportunity. I want an opportunity to do great work. I wanted to do it in a place and be able to work with people that, that, um, that I cared about and generally liked to work with. And, um, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to do that successfully is, creates opportunities for growth. Mm-hmm. And when you can show people opportunities for growth, and if you can get a good supervisor who will help you grow, um, I think that's some of the basic fundamental building blocks to building a good corporate culture. And that's what's worked well for us. It's not rocket science, but it's, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. But you, I love the fact that you said millennials are – quit grouping, in other words, grouping people. Well, the millennials are like this, and the Gen Xers are like this. and the We may work a little differently, right? We may, some of us may be more technologically um, gifted than, than, than the boomers, but um, I think in the end we still want about we the want same things. We want the thing. same things. Yeah. Thank you for that. What would the rest of you add? Oh, I'm just a millennial trapped in this. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> you are well preserved. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think all of us come from sports background and competition. And one of my favorite quotes is, the desire to win is meaningless if you don't have the will to prepare. And mm. I find today that will uh, to prepare is not something that you ever can lose sight of. You can't quit just because you're tired or you feel like you've, you've exhausted your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I honestly believe that uh, you have to have humility, but you also keep searching because the answer will come. And I find myself struggling with design problems all the time. And I go to bed with unresolved ideas. And when I wake up, all of a sudden, there is this beautiful, crystal clear solution right there just hanging right in my consciousness stream and i cannot tell you how many times that rest and letting my brain process all of this data and just give it a chance Mm -hmm. the answer appears it has happened to me hundreds of thousands of times in my life it just seems like it's always if you'll just pause let your brain settle clarity will come and that's part of that willingness to prepare though i'm Mm -hmm. not going to give up my body is subconsciously processing that and it does have a tremendous outcome. That's really good advice. You know, that, yeah. just to build on that, because I've <coughs> been having the same conversation with our employees. I, I like to get up early in the morning, and I'll, I'll, I'll usually go walking for about two hours. Really? And, and it isn't I get some great exercise, but the point is, from the time we hit the office or you pick up your smartphone to when you go to bed at night, you're reacting. You don't have time to be strategic, to be thoughtful, whether it's about family, Mm -hmm. whether it's about business. And I encourage each of our employees, it's not enough to say, well, you know, on Saturdays I ride my bike and that's when, that's my thought time. Once a week isn't enough. 
you've really got to find time. And I, I tell our folks at the office, mm -hmm. find some private time during the day if you have to, because it's important to the organization to be able to plan and think about issues that you're facing, opportunities you're facing, design, whatever. You're going to make better decisions. But to back up to your point about, about culture, you know, it's really, I and every one of us spend as much time, if not more, uh, with our work family as we do with our personal family. Exactly. And it really isn't that much different. Yeah. You know, your personal family, you treat every one of your children fairly. You don't treat them the same, right? You, you have the golden rule. There are things that are allowed and not allowed. When you come onto our floor in our office, if you look to one wall, it says, be the best. Mm. And that's what we ask. Just be the best. And, you know, if you have kids, if you've got one child that might be really good at one thing and really poor at something else, knowing what you're good at. I'll go back to strength finders yeah. rather than focusing on the weaknesses. But that's what it is. Really the golden rule. And I know Harold and I got a lot of that uh, back uh, from Southwest Airlines, Herb Kelleher yes. and, uh, and Colleen Barrett, um, and learned a lot of that from them. And that's... That's really what culture comes down to, mm -hmm. family. Respect, family. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's, it's a slight modification. Um, you know, it's uh, like I, I love my kids the same, but I treat them different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I treat them different because they react differently to different things. Um, you know, so I would say um, even with our project team um, or folks within our organization, I love them the same. <laughs> you know, but I treat them different because I need them to hear the message and not talk past one another. Um, so we we go at it differently. And, you know, so an example that I'll give you is, you know, we often try to bifurcate the problems that we have from the people that we have. Um, and by doing it that way, like problems don't have emotions. People do. <laughs> okay. True. So, you know, if you're on the project team or if you're in our organization, we already know you're amazing. You know, you wouldn't be here um, if, if you weren't. So we don't, we don't have to go through the idea of posturing about, oh, I did this great and then you did that great. You know, that's the price of admission. You know, let's, let's separate the problem from the person because we don't attack people we attack problems and if we can if we can dis disassociate the two mm -hmm. that's where magic happens you know and that's where people but it but it takes trust to be able to do that you know because people automatically i mean their natural inclination is to think it's you know they're attacking me no and in our organization and I, and i think my partners here at the table will tell you we never look to hang anybody out to dry oh that was boca's fault or that was balfour's fault or td's fault mm -hmm. it's like no it's our fault you know let's go attack the problem let's go figure it out and at the end of the day i think that's the reason that we're blessed to have great folks like the men next to me and the many many others work on our project and that's that's what makes us different at the end of the day what a team gosh if every um if every person who worked in a company here's a, a question to follow on that let's say that they are not working in a culture that your companies demonstrate and they try to have a voice. I hear this all the time. I want to have a voice at the table. I want to have a seat at the table. But I'm afraid of retribution. 
What would you tell that person to do or not to do? Anyone? Well, for me, you know, I get a lot of folks that ask us about our culture and, you know, how how do you get it going, and especially if they don't. It... It's, I, I view things pretty simply. It starts at the top. Um, if, if whoever is managing your office or whatever is, is allowing for a safe environment, allowing for a, the pool of shared meaning, as we would talk about it, for you to be open, then it's all right. If, you, if you've somewhere got a block where that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. you're in a tough place. Yeah. Uh, you, you really are. So... Um, as I look at, as I ask, tell people when they look at an organization, is look at the leadership and how they how they react, and you'll know a lot about how the organization will. So if you've got someone in between, if the leader's that way and that one is, is in between, you, you thoughtfully and professionally work have to work your way through it uh, because you only have two choices: either you get it fixed or you leave. Right. And it's you know it's like everybody else; they don't leave the company; they leave who they're working for. Mm-hmm. Right? So. That's very true. Yeah, we really believe that. People will go to work for a great company, but they'll quit a sorry supervisor. Right. That's right. It's not about, it's who you work with every day that's the most important. Yeah, it's definitely incumbent upon us as, as leaders. And I, I think one of the biggest failures in organizations is organizations that don't have or exercise managerial courage. Um, you know, because oftentimes, you know, people want to offload decision making you know, or maybe they're a high producer um, and I have to keep them in my organization, even though um, it might be detrimental, detrimental to the to the culture of what we're ultimately trying to build. And having that managerial courage is is tough. And most organizations struggle with mm-hmm. that. Um, so, you know, to the extent that we can exercise managerial courage in our organizations, I think our industry will be better. Um, obviously, the the output will be better, and we'll build healthier buildings, healthier communities. Help, you know, I mean, it it, it it's a you know it, it's a big circular reference, in in my opinion. But it, it it does start as Eric said, it starts with us as 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 leaders of our organizations, and it it will have that. I don't want to say trickle down, but it it just it. You know, I don't. I don't believe in up down. I believe in left right. Yeah, you know, so how good. we're uh, how we're locking arms with the man or woman next to us. But he- healthy cultures have such a wide reaching impact. I mean, when you think about people that work inside healthy cultures, have I believe have healthier families and have healthier yeah. communities, sure. and the ripple effect just goes on forever. So yeah. it can be. It's incredibly rewarding to be um, fighting every day to have a healthy work culture that has that kind of impact. It's way bigger than what we see in our office. So you all are clear on all of this. What is the single most important leadership advice that you have received? Can you think about what was the most impactful person or piece of advice that brought you to demonstrating all of this in your companies? In my case, I had a, a mentor when I was in college who taught me to be true to myself and build my own brand. No matter where I go, my brand travels with me. Integrity Mm -hmm. is something you can never go back and fix. You have to keep a high standard and treat people the way you want to be treated. But building a brand, when I talk to young people today, I talk to them about they are building their brand, whatever it is, their strengths, their weaknesses, their attitudes. Uh, Be all that you think you can be 
and then ask for help when you need help. But don't seek help before you've tried to solve problems in meaningful ways. But I just I feel like there's so much opportunity in the world uh, to help others, and nothing is more rewarding to me than helping others. And mm-hmm. so work with the Make-A-Wish Foundation that I've been involved with on the board for 12 years, but I, I enjoyed that time so much because the reward of helping others was so great, far exceeded any time or money we invested. Uh, but those are the times when you really see something valuable in life that otherwise you would miss out on. Very well said. What about the rest of you? So my uh, my um, current um, uh, mentor still, um, he's, his name is Bob Salenik. He's uh, the chairman and CEO of CBRE uh, today. And uh, when I used to work under him when I was at the Trammell Crow Company, um, and gosh, it's it's a shame to say that it was 20 years ago now. Mm. Um, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was just yesterday. Um, but you know what he what he told me was um, to be always be impeccably trustworthy. Um, and you know that that really kind of resonated with me. Um, because, you know, again, we, we go through ups and downs and some of it is market driven. Some of it is just the people around you driven. But if you're impeccably trustworthy, you know, you're maintaining your personal brand and that, that resonates mm-hmm. much further than, you know, just the deal that, that you're working on. Um, so, you know, kind of carrying that for being impeccably trustworthy is something that my partners uh, and I at, at Kaizen have tried to maintain and everyone that we come into contact with, it, um, I can wholeheartedly say that they carry forward that same mindset. And if they don't, then we likely won't be partners with them. <laughs> <laughs> That'll so, be done. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're, it, it's, it's been an honor and a privilege, you know, to, to work with the men and women that we, ha- that, that we have. So, um, anyway. That was the business. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. What else? Well, I, I think I've said it many times. I've had, I met with someone once who said he didn't believe in a mentor when I was seeking a mentor. And I was like, wow, this is oh a lousy boy. lunch. <laughs> and what, <laughs> okay. he, what he went on to say is, you, for whatever, there is no one person who can answer and be a mentor for all aspects of your life. So if you want to be a good father, who's the very best father you know? And go work with that person. If your faith is important, who's the best person of faith? If if marriage is important, you know, whatever, and seek those out. And then when you find someone better, you replace them. So you have like a board of directors, if you will. But I think one person singling out since we were doing that uh, was the late Ann McGee Cooper, uh, mm-hmm. who was just probably the most, in, uh, she was a Robert Greenleaf follower and uh, probably the most uh, important servant leader that uh, I've ever met in my life. and. And it's just around the golden rule. Just treat others as you want to be Pretty treated. Pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So, and yours? Um, Valerie, what I would, one of my favorite management gurus is Tom Peters. And <laughs> yes. what I love about Tom is his directness and his bluntness. And um, I get a weekly email from him. And this morning, it was just a few short words. It says, and you can imagine Tom shouting this, leadership is a helping profession period, all caps. Leadership is a helping profession, period. (laughs) And that means that as leaders, our our roles and responsibilities are about really helping create success for those that we work with. 
It's about making sure they know what's expected. It's about so clear expectations, that they have the tools, that they have the training, that they have the support to be successful and helping other people grow. And then the ripple effect that comes out of that from a healthy workplace is, I would challenge you, that this can be one of the most rewarding things that there is in leadership is to watch that have positive impact on families, have positive impact on communities and generations to come. So... Um, let's keep helping each other. Thank you all so much for being on the show. These last pieces of, of your own experiences and and lessons learned and certainly um, what's inspired you. I hope the listeners that you're listening and capturing and, and taking into yourself these things because look how successful these people are and you know this is what the show is about I only have people on the show that I know (laughs) are truly authentic and are living their brand in the way that it demonstrates a culture where you'd want to work so just be one isn't that the best and if you want to know more about the link you can go to link at uptown.com link at uptown.com and all eyes gentlemen are going to be watching you now until 2021 and thank you so much for being on the show and for you thank you so much for listening and until next time stay authentic live your brand and we'll talk to you next week bye for now thanks for listening to receive valerie's voice free monthly leadership tips and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching visit her website valerieandcompany.com next week we'll be here again to inspire engage and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right until then lead authentically